Welcome to the Jerry Gherkin Show, where we get our kicks out of watching people succeed. I'm your host, Jerry Gherkin, and that time is now. Today, my guest is John G. Miller, author of the QBQ, Question Behind the Question, Flipping the Switch, Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional, co-author of Raising Accountable Kids, the QBQ Workbook, publisher of I Own It for Youth, and Specs and Planks for Churches. Welcome to the show, John. Jerry, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we have a we have a little bit in common. Um, I was a college wrestler, so uh, I, I wasn't aware that um, of your dad's history and then your history a little bit. But uh, when I was talking yeah. to Stephen Taylor, um, he was telling me about uh, your history with Cornell, and then in listening through books and things, I found that out, and that was that was pretty neat. And actually, when I was wrestling in college, I wrestled at the Ohio Open uh, back in the uh, '90s, and I wrestled a, a young young man from Cornell. I don't remember his name, but was your dad coaching at that time? Oh, heavens no. He was born in 21 and coached from 1949 to 1975. Okay. Yeah. And I started at Cornell in 1976 and got out in 1980 and he had already retired from coaching and had gone into full-time ministry. He was a Christian pastor for 40 years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it. Um, we both have a, a lot going on and, and we got a lot of content to cover in a short period of time. I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Pete Margliotti, who actually connected us. And uh, he's, he's chiming in to listen. He's a huge fan like I am uh, of what you what you do and what you offer to help people out. But uh, let's talk about the QBQ. What what exactly is the QBQ and how did how did you come up with it? I don't know. We should ask Pete. <laughs> <laughs> The QBQ is to answer the question behind the question, and it's really a, a practical idea that enables a person, anybody, me included, to practice personal accountability. So if for some reason you're listening in today and you need to get off the next sec, next 10 seconds, just know that this uh, Facebook discussion today is about personal accountability. If you don't believe in personal accountability, personal responsibility, getting rid of the victim thinking, entitlement, whining, finger pointing, and procrastination in life, then, uh, then sign off now. But if you want to stick around and talk about personal accountability, that's what the QBQ is all about, the question behind the question. That, yeah, absolutely. Um, you say the QBQ, the, there are two myths surrounding accountability. Tell us about those. Absolutely. And that comes from my corporate work. I'm a speaker. We have a small training company here in Denver, Colorado, where we get 300 days of sunshine a year. And we live, have lived here 22 years. And we have seven kids and 11.8 grandchildren with one due in July. And the oldest of our seven children is Kristen. She's in her late 30s now. And she also is on my team. And Jerry, she goes all over the country speaking on personal accountability. At least that is pre-COVID. Now we do a lot of work virtually for our clients. And those two myths that you mentioned come from our corporate work. Because as as I was teaching personal accountability in the QBQ in the 1990s, I discovered many people were confused over what accountability means. We would think it's a group thing because we, we do so much team building in corporate America. I truly believe we have lost sight of the individual. So we think accountability is a, a group or a team thing. We've engaged in oxymorons like group accountability and team accountability. And, you know, if you go to church, you've heard all about accountability groups, or if you've been close to addiction, you know about accountability groups. And those are wonderful support tools. But in the end, uh, the group can't change me. Personal accountability is all about me 
asking, what can I do to support the team? And the, so the first myth of accountability is we think it's a group thing. It's not. It's a me thing. And the second myth is we think it's something I hold others to. And that comes from uh, my work selling management training for a, a decade from 1986 to 1995 in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I sold management training and I sat with thousands of managers over the years and pretty much their view of accountability was, you know, I'm going to call my team in on Tuesday and we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting because I'm going to hold them accountable. Well, that's not what QBQ is all about. It's not about holding others accountable. It's not about the team. It's about asking great questions like, what can I do today to contribute to this world? How can I make a difference? Instead of playing the blame game, in, in my industry, that oftentimes is, is, the, is the mantra is that um, the traffic's light, the weather's bad, you know, the desk is slow, the managers aren't doing their job, the advertising's not happening. But that's the outward instead of looking at excuses. <laughs> yeah, excuses are like noses. Everybody has one and they all blow. I thought that was belly buttons. <laughs> hey, uh, one side note: you have you, you mentioned seven children, so you have six girls and one one boy. Yes. And and uh, it was funny. I was I was talking to my wife. We walk our Australian shepherds usually twice a day through our our park area that we live at, and I was talking to her about um, Michael this morning and and how you uh, when you finally got that boy, being a, a father of uh, a long wrestling. Uh, generation that you were like wanted to name name him hope because you had hope that he was gonna he was gonna uh wrestle and then he ended up wrestling when he was like eight i think eight years old you said that uh in his first match and he didn't like the fact that this other guy sweating on me and so the hope was gone but well, uh you're close I, the, yeah you got it the classic line was dad did you know those other boys were sweaty <laughs> so my my oldest daughter um if you double a kid's height at two that kind of gives you an idea how, how tall they're going to be. Oh yeah. So, um, she was three foot when she was two. So I'm thinking, all right, here we go. And I had two daughters. We didn't have any more children after that. So I was hoping for that athlete and I was a college all American. And when I was wrestling, so I was hoping for that athlete. And so she yeah. was, she was going to be six foot tall and she ended up being five ten, left-handed hands bigger than mine. I was like, all right, here we go. So I got a poster of Cat Osterman who was an Olympic softball pitcher put it up in a room, brain trying to brainwash her to be this great pitcher, hired the uh, university's uh, pitching coach, and uh, we sat in the backyard and on a bucket, and I was playing, and a little bit of time went by, and my wife said, hey, I just got to tell you, she hates it. <laughs> the only reason she's doing it is to spend time with you, and so, and, and you and I understand the level of commitment it takes in, in everything, um, to be successful. Yeah. So I just, I backed up and she actually went into the arts like Michael did yes, and was uh, wildly successful. And there's a lot of work that could translate over into that. You talk about dancing and rehearsing and singing and sure. yeah. So there's a lot of cool things there, but Mike went into drama and did a wonderful job all through high school. And that really ties into QBQ because we have a parenting book out called raising accountable kids. And Part of that is about, you know, mom and dad, stop trying to live your dreams through your children. So instead of asking, why doesn't my son want to wrestle? The better question, the QBQ, the question behind the question would always be, how can I help my son reach his goals? And that's a big difference in thinking. And that's in our Raising Accountable Kids book. That, you co-wrote that with your wife, Karen? Yes, absolutely. Yep. She's, she, has, she has great wisdom. I enjoy writing more, but she has great wisdom to share. So we put it all together. And uh, it's on the market. 
So what problems does uh, QBQ solve? Well, the three classic problems we address with the QBQ, I mean, I could, I could probably list 10 or 12 things, but yeah, in the QBQ book, we talk about getting rid of the blame game, victim thinking, and procrastination. So let's kind of work through those. The blame game sounds like anything that's a whodunit question. You know, who dropped the ball? Who missed the deadline? Who made the mistake? Who gave me these people? Oh, wait a minute. I hired them. We need to take accountability for our results at work and at home. Uh, who made the mistake? Who made the mess? Blah, blah, blah. Whenever we search for culprits, we are creating fear, not, not um, solving problems, not making a difference. We're, we're killing creativity in our organizations. And it's also unhealthy at home. So let's not ask who done it questions. Let's not seek culprits because that leads to blame. When you turn that question around, instead of saying, you know, who's going to solve the problem and ask, what can I do to contribute? How can I help solve the problem? Then we're on a path of personal accountability. The second myth, or excuse me, not myth, a trap or problem that QBQ eliminates is victim thinking. Uh, the twin, The twin of this would be, of course, entitlement. And we're not going to get into a political discussion here, but there is probably great entitlement thinking in our country today, uh, victim thinking, pity parties, feeling sorry for myself. And I'm not criticizing the world. I'm talking about John Miller. Because, you know, if you met my wife, she'd tell you John wears a sign around his neck that says Chief Weiner. <laughs> I have to be careful not to say, why is this happening to me? Why don't they give me a break? Why don't others understand? Why don't people listen to me? And those kinds of why questions, Jerry, take me to victim thinking and often entitlement thinking. So turn those around and say, well, what can I do to better understand people? Classic uh, questions in the corporate world that we hear that are lousy. Uh, why, why do we have to go through all this change? That's one. I'm a victim of change. Well, how about asking, what can I do to adapt to the changing world? Instead of asking, why doesn't that department do its job right? Let's ask, what can I do to serve them? This is the QBQ, turning questions around, because the answers are in the questions. And when we do that, we can eliminate blame and victim thinking. And the, and the third problem is procrastination. You know, when will I get the information I need to make a decision? When will the customer return my call? When will my boss give me more coaching? The minute I ask all these when questions, I've really just said, hey, I'm gonna pause and take no action today. And while life really kind of stinks and we don't take action, the only way to move forward is to get up and move forward. Winners fall forward, get up, make a difference, take another action. Procrastination, we call it in the book, the friend of failure. Procrastination truly is the friend of failure. So when questions like, when will they get back to me? Well, what about this? What can I do to more creatively reach the customer? What can I do today to, make, to take action and make a difference? So in summary, the three problems are blame, victim thinking slash entitlement thinking and procrastination. And QBQ eliminates all of those when we ask these better questions. And when we ask these better questions, we're really on a higher path of personal accountability. Great place to be. So when you were, when you talk to management teams, for example, because I, I know that um, a lot of times there's golden handcuffs with the employees. So let's say you get a phone call and somebody says, Hey, I need, I need to take care of this. Well, here, let me check with my manager. Um, where do you draw that fine line? And the reason why I'm thinking about that right now is, is you you referenced in uh, the QBQ um, about a, a time where you went to a restaurant and this young man was bussing tables or and walked by and, went, and you weren't waited on yet. And then you asked for something that they didn't have. And he actually sent his manager to go get it. But that's teamwork in and of itself. But 
Um, where do you, how do you uh, get that across to help um, empower employees from uh, the management standpoint? Well, let me just understand what you mean by golden handcuffs. Uh, so golden handcuffs, you, you can do some things, but you can't do everything. Oh, okay. All right. Well, in a good culture, we, we allow people to take risks, take action, and we don't punish them for trying new things. Now, of course, there's always limits, but in a poor, lousy culture, organizational culture, people are scared, they hunker down, they stay in their silos, and they point out at other people and say, well, when, when they do their work better, I'll do my work better, or when will they solve the problem? You know, it's really all about, QBQ's all about getting that individual to feel empowered to say, what can I do today to make a difference? And quite honestly, if if I was still employed somewhere, you know, instead of self-employed, and I worked somewhere, and if I got punished, as I did in 1985 in a big corporation for taking action on my own, for doing something new and different that I thought was w good and healthy, uh, I was I was yelled at in front of my peers. And I was 27, and I'll never forget that moment. So we should not punish. Now, should I have been talked to? Sure. Should I have been confronted publicly? No, I should have been talked to privately. But we really want to create cultures where people are free to take risk, to take action, to try new things. And in that story that you're referencing from QBQ, it's chapter one of the QBQ book, and it's about the Rock Bottom restaurant. And it's a favorite story of many people because they've read the, they've read it on the, in the book. So if I go, go speak somewhere, they always want to hear it. I won't give the whole story here. But I asked for a Diet Coke and they didn't carry it. And by the bottom line is the young server named Jacob sent his manager to go around the corner to the grocery store to get me a Diet Coke. And I have there's much more to the story, but I've shared that story for a long time. And it really was about the manager not looking at Jacob and saying, wait a minute, you work for me. It was the manager looking at Jacob when he said, hey, can you go get this diet, a guy a Diet Coke? She said, absolutely, Jacob, because I am here to serve you. Big difference. Yeah, that was that was really resonated a lot with me. Um, you, you referenced uh, Kristen earlier that she, before COVID, was traveling a lot, a lot and uh, doing a lot of speaking. And mm -hmm. uh, so you and your daughter uh, recently created the QBQ workbook. Yep. Yep. Yeah, what's that about? Uh, I just happen to have a copy right here. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> i tell you where this came from. Our publisher came to us a couple of years ago, Penguin Random House in New York City. And they just said, you know, you, we, I mean, we already have a full blown training uh, program for corporations to use in house. But they just said, you know, we think that people in the market could use a smaller additional item they could buy along with the QBQ book to help them personalize QBQ and take it deeper. Uh, almost like doing some sort of a QBQ devotion, if you will. And so we we created it. Kristen did 90% of the work. I was the proofer. She was the creator. And it's been a big hit because, as you know, Jerry, some people just skim a book. Some people read a book. But other people study a book. And on the last page of QBQ, I just uh, I love that last page where it says, Read it again, because repetition is a motor of learning. Read the book again, repetition is a motor of learning. And so we've we've learned over the years, many people actually will read the book again, and then again. I just got a note at our face, on our Facebook group page yesterday. If you, if you want to join us on Facebook in our, in our group page, just search QBQ group, QBQ group. And this person said, I read the book, QBQ, a couple times a year because I keep slipping into wanting to change and blame other people. 
And so there's a learner. And so for those people who have read QBQ and they want to take it further, this workbook does the trick. Awesome. So um, tell, tell me a little bit about why you wrote uh, Outstanding and Raising Accountable Kids. Sure. Well, the Outstanding book right here came from, it was uh, a, a product, if you will, of me calling on corporations since 1986. So it's been 34 years I've talked to corporations selling training. And, and you know, no matter how non-sharp you are, you start to pick some stuff up after a while. And so one day I thought, what if I came up with a list of what I think the best companies do? Everything from they don't speak in code, they do coach in the moment, they train their managers, just a lot of good stuff. There's, there's, a, there's a culture of forgiveness between departments. People don't hold grudges, you know, person to person. So I said to our publisher, again, Penguin Random House, I said, how about if I write this list up? And I had like 60 or 70 things in my head, Jerry. And we ended up with 47 ways to make your organization exceptional. And then the big debate came, what to title it. And my daughter, who worked for a corporation at the time, a different daughter, I have lots of daughters, remember that. Uh, she, was a, she was in a performance review once. And the highest level of the performance review that phone just was outstanding the word outstanding. And my daughter said that she'd been told by her manager, nobody can ever achieve outstanding. We might mark you great or excellent or good, but never outstanding. And I, and I said to her, why have that highest level in your performance review and, and say that nobody can ever achieve it? People can be outstanding. Organizations can be outstanding. So that's why we titled the book Outstanding. Perfect. All right. What does it take for a person or organization to be outstanding and why is that critical? Well, you know, especially coming out of COVID, there are going to be there are going to be less consumer dollars to compete for. Um, it's time to be our very very best, to be as sharp as possible. So I was just looking over the list the other day, and I'll just give you a few more things from the outstanding chapter headings. You know, fight the fat in good times or bad. This is really an, an extraordinary moment. We're going to come out of COVID. And we're probably going to be leaner and meaner. And don't take this wrong. It's tragic so many people have lost their, their work. But it is good for organizations to not get fat. So this is a good time to be thinking, are we as efficient as possible in the marketplace? Are we using our dollars appropriately? You know, I don't know if you know who Dave Ramsey is. Sure do. But Dave Ramsey is a big believer in the QBQ message. I've been on the show a few times. And he always says, people who manage their money well, are willing to bother to bother. They bother to bother. That's his phrase. And so inside organizations that are outstanding, they also watch their dollars. They bother to bother and manage their funds correctly. But that's just one out of 47. We compete with competitors, not each other. No finger pointing in-house. No we, they. Get rid of the us versus them. Uh, we don't speak in code. We value ideas over politics. Sadly, too many organizations are political in nature. Well, if the boss said something or the VP said something, it must be a great, great idea. But if the newbie who's been here 30 days comes up with an idea, well, you don't know. You don't know our culture yet. You haven't been here long enough. So really healthy organizations value ideas over politics. We must weigh the merit of an idea, not who said the idea. Be humble. Be fast. Keep the mission top of mind. We even are so challenging in this book, we say skip the vision thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Vision, good stuff, but nobody can really see the future. Employees, staff members, team members work productively when the mission excites them. 
So if you're running an organization, focus more on the mission, less on the vision, because the mission is why we work and why the organization exists. And that's what causes people to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. Awesome. So if, if people only get one idea from your content, uh, what would you hope that would be? It was funny. I, I mentioned Dave Ramsey. And at yep. the end of every interview over the years, he's always said, so John, what's the biggest takeaway from QBQ? And I always say, Dave, you know what I'm going to say. I can only change me. The amazing power of QBQ is not, is not something I created. I can't change my wife. I can't change my adult children. I can't change my boss. I can't change my friends, my neighbors, my colleagues. And a lot of this frustration and stress people feel in life. I mean, even today with the great mask debate, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You've got people on Facebook screaming at each other. I got an idea. How about we all just practice personal accountability and say, what can I do to remain safe? What can I do to be healthy? What can I do to take care of me? Stop trying to change others. And so when people read the QBQ book or listen to us speak live or go through our training program, Jerry, they tend to walk out thinking, you know what? My, my marriage is struggling. I've been trying to fix my spouse. Today, I'm going to work on me. You know, I've really struggled with my adult son. I keep wanting him to be a physician, but he wants to be a musician. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't I ask today, how can I support him in reaching his goals? So the number one takeaway from QBQ is I can only change me. And QBQ shows us how to do that. So you get, I'm sure you get a ton of emails from people that share stories because you do, uh, your, your books are amazing and, and there's a lot of, it, they're very engaging uh, because Thank you, you do tell a lot of stories and, and, and it gives you the visual. So when you read something you see and I could see you in the right. restaurant and I, you know, so when you get emails, uh, what from your from people that have read uh, your books, what, what are they telling you? Well, I think one of the most meaningful ones I've gotten, let's just say in the past year, is a woman who said she literally and I know we literally use the word literally too much, but she literally had her bags packed and some boxes of her stuff on the porch to leave her husband. And she was ready to go. Then she went to work that day. And it was a school district and the local trainer reviewed the QBQ, gave everybody a book, did a little talking presentation about QBQ and all that and gave out the book. And she read it over lunch. You can read the book in an hour. And she said, that was the moment I realized my marriage was suffering because I was trying to change my husband. And she went back home. She apologized. She said, I'm going to work on me, which gave him permission to work on him and the marriage is now, they're back together and nothing, few marriages are perfect, Jerry, but the marriage is holding together. They're doing well. She checks in now and then. And anytime you write a book, it can save a marriage. That's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, got a few uh, questions of my own that I'd, I'd like to ask here that uh, sure. I ask most all of my guests. Um, what have you done to stand out in business and life? I think uh, that's, that's, that's pretty broad, Jerry. I could go for 20 minutes, you know, because we don't I'm have just, that much time. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think let's just focus on the business side. I think the smart thing we did 20 years ago is even though I am all salesperson and I feel I know some things about selling, I decided not to teach sales training. I don't teach management training. I don't do team building. 
at this company, QBQ.com, we do one thing, personal accountability. My mentor taught me years ago that when you concentrate, you can dominate. And we are a very small company who is well known now for teaching personal accountability. So if a speakers bureau who sells, you know, sells speakers ever gets a request for anything that sounds like responsibility, accountability, ownership, they think of us. So we've really stayed true to our message, Jerry, and we focused on selling that product. Everything we do is based on teaching people to be personally accountable. At home, I would just say I'm an amazing husband. <laughs> you all agree with me? Let me go get Karen. She's yeah, just yeah, go get Karen. We'll see. <laughs> see what she says. You know, <clears throat> on a personal side, uh, my wife and I, in 1991, Karen came to me after 11 years of marriage. And I tell this story wherever I go. She said, Johnny, I'm going to marriage counseling. You coming? I went. And I know, I know, we always go into marriage counseling thinking it's for the other person. Well, I did that too. But we learned. We learned a lot of stuff. And we went through, oh, call it an awakening. We were in our 30s. And I do believe most emotional growth takes place in that decade, between 30 and 40 is when, I mean, we never grow up. I'm 62 this month, but I'm still a kid. But we really experience emotional growth in our 30s, not our 20s. Sorry, you young people, you're not there yet. And if you're in your late 40s and you haven't had the awakening, you may struggle with your relationships. But between 30 and 40s, where we really start to learn, what did our family of origin do to us? That's not a blame thing, that's a reality thing. How can I let go of my past? What can I do to change me? How can I build relationships? Do I, do I have to be right all the time? Can I subordinate my ego and say, I'm sorry? We learn a lot in our 30s. And that's where Karen and I had a lot of growth. Getting a uh, little bit of technical difficulty, but that all tr translated perfect. So what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, the best advice I've ever received... <laughs> Funny, I, I saw that question on Facebook recent, recently, Jerry. Maybe it was you who asked it. I think others have. And someone just summed it up by this. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> that was the best advice they ever received. And I turned to my wife and I read it to her. And she said, that works for you. <laughs> uh, but I would say <clears throat> the, best, the best advice is my dad, who was the Cornell wrestling coach and a pastor, and not perfect by any means. He simply said to me, if, if you want to go after that, then try it. Try it once. He never said, you can't do it. Now, I don't know what it was about me. I do, I do know I had a brother who wanted to be a meteorologist, and my father kind of stepped on that goal for my brother. So we'll never understand the past. I mean, this is back in the 50s and 60s. But for some reason to my dad, or to me, I mean, the youngest of four, I was the baby. My dad always said, go for it. So what the heck? Try it once. Yeah. Take yeah. a risk. Yeah. Commit first, figure it out later, right, Pete? Pete said that in the... You know what we, we say around here is, you know, create the product, then sell it. I mean, sell the product, then create it. Then create it. There you go. <laughs> Somebody says, can you do this kind of a session? And I tell Kristen, just tell them yes. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you want to be remembered? Uh, you know, it's funny. That's a simple question. I have a complicated question, but I'm going to give you a simple answer. Hey, he was a nice guy. There's yep. a lot of 
there's a lot of arrogance in my industry. I don't think any speaker would deny that. You know, we are on stage. We, we get a thousand people applauding us. It, it can go to your head. But when you have seven kids and a wife for 40 years, you can be humbled too. And uh, I guess I want people to know. Um, I, I, years ago, I had a, a client who said, you know, you're like my neighbor next door. And I was glad for that. It, I had just been on their, their stage. I had just spoken to 300 people and it was a good session and they laughed, they cried and you know, they applauded and I got down and later she said, you're just like my neighbor guy. But that was one of the greatest compliments I could receive. He was, he's a nice guy. That's a good thing to put on my tombstone. Yes, yes. Always be humble and kind is mine. That's what I yeah, want. Always be humble and kind. Um, now, so I'll tell you, I, I'm proud of my humility. Right. <laughs> I want to be clear. So how can people reach you, John? Oh, well, you know, it's funny, that question. Um, 20 years ago, I'd give out an 800 number, <laughs> maybe even a mailing address. Now it's just qbq.com. Just type in qbq.com and you'll find everything about us. Send me an email, john at qbq.com. Friend me on Facebook. Find a QBQ page on Facebook, the QBQ. But come to qbq.com and you can, you know, join us with Instagram and, you know, all Twitter and, and LinkedIn and all that. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I want to thank John Miller for uh, joining me today. Uh, please leave us thank five star reviews on iTunes. It, this helps other people find the show and get the content out there. Uh, give me a like on Facebook at uh, Jerry Gerkin at TaylorKia.com. And remember, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Thanks, John. Thank you. Appreciate it.